Welcome back to another episode of Keeping Stock. I'm your host, Julian Gray. Keeping Stock, the weekly sneaker podcast giving you a rundown on modern sneaker culture, upcoming releases, sneaker research, and more in fast-paced 20 to 30-minute episodes. And today, we had a fun one. I did a little bit more research with the Olympics coming up. I decided to pick my favorite and the most iconic Olympic sneakers in my mind. And to be fully transparent, it's so dominated by Nike historically that I did try to put some other brands in there. And so I'm not going after strictly style and colorways, but more iconic moments in the Olympic games, primarily of sneakers that could be worn off court or off track. However, there are a few moments in there that the sneaker selected, you may not be able to wear off court because they're specifically designed for performance. But with that being said, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and let's hop right into it. The most iconic sneakers in Olympic history. So to look at the most iconic sneakers in Olympic history, I narrowed the list down to 10 sneakers. As I said, it's pretty Nike dominant. There are a few other brands that stand out and there are definitely some honorable mentions. And I'm sure some will come to your mind right away that you'll think about. But at number 10, I'm going to start with Beijing. It's 2008. We're looking at the Redeem Team. Team USA Basketball is coming back to get gold after an unsuccessful run in 2004. And Nike rolls out the perfect commercial for the Redeem Team. The United Re-Rise. That was the theme that year. Coming back to grab the gold. And that United Re-Rise commercial, one of my personal favorites. Nike commercials with the Marvin Gaye National Anthem. Marvin Gaye, one of the greatest musicians of all time, gone too early. Gives you chills down your spine every time you listen to it and see that commercial. And that team was stacked. And there's no better way to unveil Nike's new technology than the Olympics. So we're going with the 2008 Nike Hyperdunk at number 10. I know some of you might be thinking, what? 10 might seem a little high, but to me, of these other nine in front of it, 10 seems about right. The Nike Hyperdunk debuted by Kobe and Team USA for the most part, besides LeBron, Carmelo, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Paul. Everyone on Team USA was rocking the Nike Hyperdunk. This was the debut of Flywire technology and the first use of NASA's Lunar Lawn foam that Nike used for many years in a sneaker. 2008 Nike Hyperdunk designed by Eric Avar, famous Kobe designer. And it, and it went on to inspire the Kobe 4 and the LeBron 7. LeBron 7 being one of my favorite shoes. Kobe 4, one of my favorite performance shoes as well. It just set the stage, just like the Redeem team was. And so I have it at number 10. It did re-release in 2016, and I beat my pair up. I wish I would have not used it for City League basketball and had it today. But one of the greatest basketball shoes of all time is that original Nike Hyperdunk from 2008. And the hits of 3M throughout that Hyperdunk were phenomenal. Great touches, great colorway. All the little details as you got up close, it shimmered in the sun. And that 2008 team absolutely bullied the rest of the competition. Now, number nine, we're going way back. And I found this very interesting that this shoe debuted in Berlin of 1936. 
coming up just shy of a hundred years at this point in time. That is the White Chuck Taylor High. And you may be asking, why number nine? It's an iconic silhouette that's lasted the test of time longer than any other brand. But more specifically, this was the introduction of one of their most popular colorways, that white high top colorway. And it was the first Olympic basketball game. You want to know how much things have changed since then, even though that shoe is still one of the top 10 selling shoes throughout the United States and potentially the world, that that first Olympic game in 1936 in Berlin was on an outdoor court. It was soaked in rain. It was muddy for a professional basketball game at the time. And sure, that's the old argument. They were just milkmen or whatever, but it's the first Olympic basketball game. And see how far it's progressed from outdoor to indoor is crazy. Further, when that white Chuck Taylor was debuted, that final score of that first game between USA and Canada was 19 to 8 with the USA winning. I'll repeat that again. 19 to 8 was that final score. Crazy to think that when Chuck Taylor and that white high top stepped into the Olympics, the evolution of sneakers and basketball ahead of it. And this is one of the foundational sneakers that changed the game of basketball and added that performance. So number nine, the white Chuck Taylor at the Berlin 1936 Olympic Games. Now, number eight, as we head to the east coast of the United States of America, it's 1996. And I think you might have a guess of which silhouette this is. This is the Nike Air More Uptempo. Could have put it higher, could have put it lower. I think at number eight, this is the perfect spot. A lot of people forget still how dominant the 1996 team was because 1992, the dream team, is one, if not the most talked about Olympic team alongside the 2008 redeem team. So the 1996 Atlanta games and that USA basketball team sometimes gets put under the radar, right? Scottie Pippen was there, Shaq, Penny Hardaway, and Pippen had been wearing the Nike Air more up-tempo throughout that 1995-96 year of the NBA. But you have to remember, when Pippen is wearing this in 1996, it's during the Bulls' most infamous playoff run, the year that they go 72-10. and 10. So Pippen goes from winning a NBA championship, winning 72 games, only losing 10 in the regular season, then transferring very quickly over to the Olympics, where then they won the gold medal. That made Scottie Pippen the first player to win the gold and the NBA championship in the same year. Scottie Pippen, crazy to think that he was the first one to do so in the same year. And that likely because the Olympics happens every four years. And so the years Jordan won may have been during a off year of the Olympics. The funny thing about the Nike Air More Up Tempo, obviously this colorway is iconic, the navy blue, the white air on the side, the hints of gold, a little bit of red. But when the Nike Air More Tempo first debuted and was shown to Pippen, he thought it was very arrogant and loud. He came accustomed to liking it, and it definitely stands out. It stood the test of time. We're seeing a plethora of colorways coming back now, and it's always going to be a sellout shoe in that USA colorway. So that puts it at number eight, the 1996 Air More Uptempo in Atlanta. Now let's move over to number seven. 
We're going to stay in Atlanta for this pick. This is going to be on the women's USA basketball team, and that is the Nike Air Swoops, Cheryl Swoops' signature sneaker. And this is a monumental sneaker. I mean, first of all, Cheryl Swoops has, I believe, the most points in an NCAA title game across divisions. She was the first female with a signature shoe, which opened the game for the generation that plays today, absolutely massive in 1996. I still think there should be more female signature sneakers than male sneakers being utilized in the WNBA. Just as young girls and hoopers are growing up, it may be better to have a female signature shoe that is accustomed to the female foot that may help performance. And the Nike Air Swoops was, of course, the Nike red, white, and blue colorway with that four-foot strap. And Cheryl Swoops donning that number seven. And oddly enough, this year's USA women's basketball team is wearing the throwback kit from the 96 games. So the red with the blue accents on the side and the stars, absolutely stunning. I love the shorts, would love to pick up a pair if Nike puts them on sale. Nike's doing some weird thing right now, probably because of the pandemic and not knowing who's on the team for men and women with not really releasing the jerseys with players on them, which I find is odd. But back to the number seven pick. Like I said, an absolutely huge impact on the scene. If this doesn't happen, it may take even longer before we see a female signature shoe to hop on the scene. So for them to break in, win gold, and her to debut this in the Olympics was absolutely monumental for the women's basketball and women's sneaker culture moving forward. Now as we move into number six, this is one of the most iconic moments of all time in the Olympics. This is in 1968 in Mexico City. The reason why I've put it at number six is simply because I think this sneaker or this track spike has been significantly downplayed by Puma. But this is the Puma number 296 at our sixth pick. This is when Tommy Smith won the 200 meter and set a world record running a 19.83 and fellow American John Carlos coming in third place. Then they hit the podium wearing all black to honor black poverty, black pride, and blue collar workers with the way that they had unzipped the top of their jackets. And this comes right at the end of the civil rights movement in 1968 where they're on the podium with Tommy Smith raising his right hand in the fist with a glove on and John Carlos raising his left hand with a fist with a glove on just because he had forgot his gloves at the hotel and so they had to split gloves. But it was done on one of the biggest stages to empower the people and say, we've made it this far, we can continue to go on. An absolutely iconic picture moment in Olympic history. It stood the test of time and a great way to cap off the end of the civil rights movement as there was a lot of work still to be done. And that is, again, all done in the Puma number 296. I'd love to see that come out in another way or an homage to that in a Puma Clyde would be awesome or a Puma Suede would be super significant. I think it do it extremely well. I would try to purchase it. But that puts it at the number six position. And now we're getting into some big hitters. Number five, 2008 
Beijing, we're back. An absolutely huge Olympics. I mean, we started in Beijing and now at number five, we're back. And I tied this with another sneaker as well, which I'll get into. But this is the Puma Thesis. And if you remember 2008, it is Usain Bolt's utter domination of the track and field events. In a single Olympic Games, Usain Bolt breaks three world records in the Puma Thesis. He breaks the 100, the 4x1 or 4x100, and the 200 meter. And he ran that 200 meter in a 19.3. The crazy thing is, if we look back to 1968, Tommy Smith won the 200 meter in the Puma 296 in a record time of 19.83 at that point in time for the world record. And now it's down to 19.3. But what you may be saying is, wait, someone else broke the record in the meantime. There's no way it stood that test of time. And the record that was standing prior was from the 1996 games in Atlanta. Again, we're back in Atlanta. And this is the infamous Nike gold spikes worn by Michael Johnson. And in that one, he busted out these eye-catching gold spikes that kind of remind me of the colorway that may have inspired the Kobe 5 undefeated that we saw recently that some people called the Thanos colorway. But Michael Johnson had ran this eye-catching 200 meter and set a world record in 1996 at a 19 second and 32 pace. And then Usain Bolt comes in and beats that at that 19.3, put on an absolute masterclass, but two iconic sneakers in track and field, the 2008 Puma Thesis and the 1996 Nike Gold Spikes by Michael Johnson. Now, number four, getting closer to the end here. This is the first Adidas that we see. This is in Seoul in 1988. What could have Adidas been for 1988? almost at one of their pinnacles. And this is the Adidas Grand Slam, worn by Steffi Graf. If you aren't familiar with Steffi Graf, obvious Hall of Fame tennis player, one of the greatest of all times. And in 1988 is one of the years she solidified her greatness. She won the first Golden Slam in one season. So what is the Golden Slam? Well, she won the Australian Open, the French Open, Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, and the Olympic gold in one season. Five major events of the best tennis players around. And she cleaned and cleared the field in one season wearing the Adidas Grand Slam. And the interesting thing about the Grand Slam is that it used a peg cushioning system. And so that peg cushioning system was three pegs in the heel for comfort. You can remove them or add them to increase or decrease the firmness within the heel for your shoe. We can see that innovation coming from Adidas and brought to the spotlight by one of the greatest seasonal tennis performances across divisions by Steffi Graf in the 1988 games in Seoul. Now let's move to our top three. And I'm sure at this point, there's some that have come to mind. You're just waiting for them to be announced. Maybe they will be picked. Maybe they won't. But number three, I put the 1992 Dream Team. Two sneakers here, I think equally iconic. And in my opinion, one is definitely more iconic than the other, but we'll start with the Air Jordan 7 in the Olympic colorway. One of the greatest colorways of the Jordan 7 debuted in Barcelona in 1992 for the Olympics. 
inspired by the Nike Hirachi with the little booty inside the seven. And then with Jordan's iconic Olympic number nine on the back where he goes to win MVP. This is another colorway that comes out and sells out instantly every single time. It really highlights the aesthetic and the detail within the Jordan 7 with those navy blue hits, the silver. It makes the shoe really pop. But to me, this other shoe may be one of the more recognizable from the Dream Team, and that is the Air Force 180 Low as worn by Charles Barkley. Air Force 180 Low was built for power players. It had 50% more air and it had these hits of gold in the strap and that traditional bulky 1990s NBA shoe that just stood out. It's one of those shoes, if you don't know basketball, you'd look at and say, that looks like the Olympics. That looks like the gold medal. And Nike executed it perfectly. Though Jordan was the MVP of the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, Charles Barkley was the leading scorer. They all got their shine. The shoes were off the chain. There's a huge variety of other shoes from that 92 team, such as Patrick Ewing's signature shoe, LA Gear on that Fila. It was a great variety of sneakers. You can't forget Magic Johnson in the Converse Cons. A huge variety And it just happens to be really that first time where USA basketball is on center stage, blowing out the competition, very much like the 2008 Redeem team did. And so that lands them at number three. We have two picks left. Number two, to me personally, in my generation, this might be one of the most iconic for USA basketball. Some generations, it may have been that third pick of the Dream Team, the Jordan 7, the Air Force 180 Low. but You can't look at Olympic basketball highlights with one of the greatest highlights in all of basketball, not singularly just the Olympics. And this is 2000 in Sydney. Vince Carter leaps over seven foot two France editor Friedrich Rise to slam at home wearing the Nike Shocks BB4. This is the first year of the Nike Shocks, the introduction. It's supposed to give you more spring and more bounce and send energy back up through the body as you step down. And there's no better way to prove that and highlight that and sell that than what Vince Carter did in those 2000 Olympics. You have to remember too, that 2000 Nike shock BB4 was inspired by spacesuits. So it's futuristic. It's sending people to space, sending them in the air. You have this unhuman-like player scaling someone who was 7'2". There's a majority of people in the world that's never seen someone over seven feet tall. And Vince Carter just dunked over this dude on national television. Nike piggybacked after that for months, highlighting and using that to advertise. And when you think USA Basketball top five moments, that is one of the moments that comes to mind. And it's that sneaker that's so iconic and instantly recognizable in one of the craziest Olympic moments for sneakers that aren't necessarily just track spikes this nike shocks was something that no one had seen before and now it's a crazy seller when i was working retail people love the nike shocks they don't necessarily really make them like they used to in the quantities they still are available every now and again but the hype from that dunk carried generations of nike shocks fans and now let's head into number one number one 
We're going to go back to 1936 in Berlin. The same year the white Chuck Taylor High debuts, Jesse Owens is in the Olympics in Berlin. A black man running for the USA, which wasn't recognizing him as a citizen at the time, selected to be one of the greatest athletes in the world, goes to Berlin and is performing in front of Hitler. Right there is a story in itself, obviously. It's been a movie. It's been a book. It's one of the craziest scenarios that almost sounds like a stand-up bit, talking about a black man running in front of Hitler. Further, he goes on to win four gold medals in the 1936 games, proving that he is the greatest athlete in the world at that point in time, doing it in hostile territory, doing it to prove not only Germany and their fearless leader, but also the USA in some regards, proving to everyone that it's an equal playing field and everyone should have the opportunity to do what I'm doing. And so Jesse Owens wins those four gold medals in the Dossler brother cleat. You may be familiar with the Dossler brothers, most notably known for Adidas, but also the masterminds behind Puma as well. And so that rounds out our list. Jesse Owens sticking it to Hitler in the 1936 Berlin Games in the Dossler Brothers cleat. And to recap, our top 10, the 2008 Nike Hyperdunk, United Rewise in Beijing, 1936 Berlin Games, the introduction of the white Chuck Taylor and the first Olympic basketball game, 1996 Atlanta, the Nike Air Morda Uptempo, highlighted by Scottie Pippen, 1996 Atlanta, the Nike Air Swoops, first female signature shoe, as donned by Cheryl Swoops, 1968 Mexico City, the Puma 296, the most iconic photo of the Olympic Games of all times, Tommy Smith on the podium raising the black fist alongside John Carlos. Number five, the 2008 Puma Thesis in Beijing, and the 1996 Atlanta Nike Gold Spikes by Michael Johnson. Number four, the 1988 Seoul Games, the Adidas Grand Slam, where Steffi Graf becomes the first to win the Golden Slam. Number three, the 1992 Dream Team in Barcelona, the Air Jordan 7, the Charles Barkley Air Force 180 Low. Number two, 2000 in Sydney, the Nike Shocks BB4, highlighted by Vince Carter soaring over a 7-2 center. And number one, Jesse Owens in the 1936 Berlin Games wearing the Dossler Brothers cleat. I'd love to hear what I left off the list or what you would put or change on this list. Maybe it's the Nike Flyknit trainers or the neon Nike Freeze from the 2012 and 2016 games, the Michael Phelps and the dominance of the USA gymnast team, the KD4 USA. Maybe it's another track cleat. Love to hear what you have to say. Go ahead and shoot me a tweet or a message over on Twitter. That's going to be at Julian the Gray. I hope you guys enjoyed this portion. We're going to take a quick break, go over some cool content, and then hop into upcoming releases. So this past week has been packed full. So much so that Crocs announced that their profits have grown to $319 million. Crocs, one of the memes for the past 10 years of sneakers and footwear. But that's no small number. 
that growth is up five times from their 57 million in profit last year. So last year, 57 million in profit, this year, 319 million. Absolutely crushing the industry right now. And simply the reason is their accessibility and the ease of use. I've personally never owned Crocs, but I could imagine as everyone is working from home, even as someone who's enjoys wearing sneakers and finding unique colorways and a way to express yourself, you weren't wearing sneakers as often as you were in previous years. You're putting on some slides, going to the mailbox, ordering DoorDash, picking up to go, whatever it was, and Crocs excelled at that. Slip it on and off, breathable, lightweight, don't have to worry about getting dirty or scuffed, very inexpensive. And they also hit that sneaker market with various collabs with Post Malone and Bieber and so on and so forth. So Crocs is crushing it. Continue to see them crushing it for a little while. Not personally for me, but it is arguably the hottest shoe in the industry at this point in time. Then Nike and Adidas announced that their supplier in Vietnam had to close due to COVID. The implications for this are still yet to be known as Nike may be able to pivot materials from that supplier to other manufacturers, same with the Tidas. But Vietnam is the majority of where Nike footwear is being developed. As we talked about how fakes were produced in another episode, I can link that down below if you're interested to hear the story of how fakes are made and how they're transported and how they get busted. But it's all in Vietnam, and Nike makes 82% of their footwear in Vietnam. So this could be a very big problem for footwear inventory in the next six to 10 months as they're planning very far ahead. You may see more fakes hit the market as they know the designs and Nike is pushing back and delaying those footwear. But we'll see how Nike and Adidas act and how they pivot and how they respond to this obstacle that maybe they have been prepared for since the events of last year. And then congratulations to the Milwaukee Bucks for winning in six. Great for Giannis. Incredible story. As much as people poke fun at him for not being able to shoot, I've always enjoyed his game, his passion. He's been very exciting. But to me, the most exciting thing about this Bucks championship was seeing Brandon Jennings get the credit he deserves. One of my all-time favorite players. If you didn't get to see Brandon Jennings in this prime Go check out his highlights. Go check out the double nickel. He's the one who essentially helped bring Spotlight back to Milwaukee after a long drought. Michael Red also deserves recognition. He got time in the parade along with Jennings. But Under Armour, if you're listening, bring back the bloodline. Bring back some of the, the double nickel colorways for that Jennings line. You got a fan here and a purchaser, and I'm sure you've got many more who love that introduction to Under Armour basketball that Brandon Jennings did while in Milwaukee. And I hope Nike does a sick 10-second ad for Giannis. The championship ad, poking fun at all of those, counting down his free throws, counting the 10 seconds like the Suns did, doing something with that story, essentially proving to them that in 10 seconds, a lot more can happen than just a free throw. And in those 10 seconds, Giannis now has a block, a game-winning lob, and his first championship in a small-to-mid-market team. But that's all the cool content this week. Let's get into some of the upcoming releases. (laughs) These are the new Jordans. That's it, huh? So we will be looking at releases from Sunday, July 25th 
to Saturday, July 31st. Once again, end of the month is always shaky for sneaker releases. It's kind of hit or miss. But what we do see coming out, starting with the Nike Dunk High Women's Black in White coming out on July 27th for $110. Very similar to the low dunk that we saw earlier this year that people were calling the Panda. That comes out on the 27th for women. Then we will also see the Nike Retro GTS 97 Matte Aluminum, the Nike Air Tune Max Smoke Gray. This looks like it would be a Skepta collab. The July 27th Nike Air Tune Max does. Then on the 28th, we get the Puma Mirage Sport Remix Pack in Puma Black, and then in the Nimbus Cloud on the 28th. Further seeing another Nike Dunk, the Undercover Nike Dunk High with UBA. This is a red and black with a splattered midsole and white laces. Again, the Dunk High, uh, Dunk Trends continuing to crush it this year. We'll see how these Dunk Highs do uh, with two releases back to back, but one of them being a collab, I see them selling out. Then we see the Jordan 1 Fragment and Travis Scott colorway. You know, I personally am not a huge fan for it, but I'm going to try, and I don't normally resell shoes, but the hype on this is absolutely ridiculous, and it may help put a down payment on a car um, or add to a down payment on a home for what these prices are looking like. Uh, It's overall just a very lazy collab, in my opinion. Not much effort, just slap some color on it after the first original colorway, the Mocha being so revolutionary and doing what it did to the Jordan 1, very similar to what Off-White had done. Those come out reportedly on the 29th for $200. Then we also see on the 30th, the Nike Dunk Low and Woman's Purple Pulse, the Ambush Nike Dunk High Flash Lime. That is a bright shoe. It's $180. It reminds me of when you University of Oregon used to go neon with their uniforms. It is very bright and very loud, very modern streetwear look, and I'm sure some people will pull off some interesting outfits with that. Kind of reminds me of what the Billie Eilish Air Jordan 1 KO is going to look like. Then we get another Nike Dunk Low, the Yellow Strike for $110 on the 30th. We also see the Sakai Nike Blazer Low in Iron Gray, which they're really starting to just overproduce these and it's kind of lost this aesthetic this time around as one Nike's already copied it and two we've seen it in so many iterations that it just doesn't look to me as uh as fresh and unique as the other and first colorways did but my favorite pick of the week is going to be the Para Nike SB Dunk Low Abstract Art for 110 it's a very fun minimal Nike SB Dunk Low. I personally won't be trying for it, but I do enjoy it. Uh, I was bummed that I wasn't able to pick up any of the Olympic skating jerseys. As someone who does skate, I would have loved to have one of those, but it's great to see skateboarding getting its limelight. At first, I was anti-Olympics, but now I'm under that impression. If it makes the sport more accessible, more accepted in the public eye, and gives the youth a better opportunity to make money or make that a career and become an Olympic world-class athlete at it, I'm all for it. And that's all of this week's upcoming sneakers. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Go ahead and let me know what your favorite Olympic sneakers or moments were. 
shoot that over on Twitter, or let me know what you're going after this week in terms of purchases. I thank you for your time, and I'll probably catch you next week, if not the week after that. I'm thinking going a little bit more deeper into the research base and looking at the history of the Tracy McGrady line. But until next time, I'll catch you later.